Merry Christmas. I know that there are uh, many who are guests this morning, and uh, we're excited to have you, and I just want to catch you up uh, real quick on, on what's going on. Um, we, uh, we're a church that, uh, that loves this book, the Bible. Uh, it is a, a book that is separated into two parts, Old and New Testament, uh, and it, but it's telling one story, and that story is about Christ, or it's about the fall of mankind and God sending Christ into our world to redeem a people, to be worshipers of Him in, uh, among every tribe, tongue, and nation. In the Old Testament, uh, it looks forward to Christ's coming, and it sets the stage for Christ's coming. And the New Testament tells us of Christ's coming and also tells us how we are to live in light of that coming. And when we turn to the New Testament, you'll find four books at the beginning of the New Testament. And those are known as the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And although they cover some, some similar events and uh, they're all talking about the life of Christ, they are all written for different purposes. One that uh, kind of is probably unique from the rest of them is the Gospel of John. And John tells us uh, actually why he wrote the book of the Gospel of John. He says, in John 20, 31, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so uh, John had a very evangelistic uh, mindset when he wrote this book. He wants us to read about what, what, who Christ was and, and what he did and to believe, to realize that it's not a fairy tale. This, this time of year, we're not celebrating a fairy tale. We're celebrating the true coming of Christ. Now, we as a church have been going through this gospel. Uh, we started this past summer, and, and we're, we just finished John chapter 5. And for December, we've circled back around, and we're covering the first 18 verses of John that talk about Christ coming. And we are reflecting on what that all means. And so this morning we're closing out uh, our Christmas reflection on these first 18 verses with verses 14 through 18. Let me read those again. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth uh, uh, came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. And so what I want to look at this morning is that the Word became flesh. And that's what we're celebrating this time of year is the incarnation, right? God in the flesh, right? You go to a Mexican restaurant and you order a, a carnas uh, taco, you're ordering meat. And that's literally kind of the rough 
the rough translation, what this is saying, the incarnation, God in, in the flesh. And, it's, and I want to look at three we, reasons why God became flesh. And the, the first is that God became flesh to dwell with us. It says here in verse 14, and the Lord became flesh and dwelt among us. We see in this His great humility. Because in Scripture, most of the time when the Scripture talks about flesh, it's saying something kind of negative, especially when it talks about our sinful nature. Now we know Christ had no sinful nature, but we, we see flesh as being weak and, and, and as grass, yeah, the, the Scriptures tell us of flesh. And yet, Christ came in the flesh. He came in the flesh. And all, of that, and all that the flesh entails. In Philippians 2.6 it says, Who though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself by becoming the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. We need to remember that the incarnation of, of Christ coming in the flesh was, was not a subtraction from Him. It was an addition. Okay, He was not removing his divinity okay that's not what's happening what happened in, in the incarnation he added humanity he added his humanity and henceforth he is the one who is both 100 percent man and fully divine the literal translation here it speaks of of him becoming flesh and dwelling among us is that of a of a tabernacle He's tabernacling, he tabernacled with us. We know that in the Old Testament, when the tribes of Israel were roaming in the wilderness, what, would, what they would have to do is when they set up camp, what was in the middle of the camp? The middle of the camp was the tabernacle. It was the dwelling place of God because God wanted to be with His people. And then it came that when they built the, the temple, it set in the center of the city so that He could be with His people. But even though the temple was this great place of God being with His people, you couldn't just walk into the Holy of Holies, right? There was a, a priest that had to do that. Uh, with great threat and fear, he went behind the veil to make offerings for sin. But when Christ finished His work on earth, what happened? That great veil was split in two. It was split in two to show the great openness and, and, and how God will now be with His people in a way like He's never been with His people in the finished work of Christ. And if you'll read it, it reads that it was ripped from the top to the bottom, not from the bottom of the top to the top. Why? Because it's not man who makes a way to God. It is God from the top to the bottom who splits open and makes a way to be with us. We celebrate this time of year that He came in the flesh to dwell with us, to be with us. What an amazing, amazing truth that we celebrate. What a great gift of God to us. To be the God who comes to be with us. 
Second, the Word became flesh to make God known. We see this in verse 14 and 18. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. So we see here in these two verses that Jesus became flesh to make God known. Seeing God had had never gone well for humankind. There was a time, even though Moses was appointed as this great mediator, a temporary mediator until Christ, although he was appointed as this great man, he goes before God in, in, in uh, Genesis, I'm sorry, in Exodus, uh, in 30, Exodus 33, verse 20. And he says, hey, God, can I see you? Can I, can I see your glory i want to i want to see what you look like and god's response is you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live we realize that there is a great divide especially in the old testament that you could not see god if you saw god it would burn you up because of your sin and his holiness even men that, that were able to appear in the throne room, like, uh, like Isaiah, became nervous wrecks in the sight, in that great amazing sight. But that all changed in Christ. He made God known in a way that God had never been known. Calvin said this uh, about it. He said, the richness of God's glory is invisible until it shines forth in Christ. The majesty of the Father is hidden until it shows itself impressed on Christ's image. What an amazing act of God to not only speak to us through His Word, but to speak to us through the life of Christ, to to show what it looks like when God walks the earth as as a person, as as God walks the earth and deals with difficult people and deals with, with being tired, to deal with, with loss and being betrayed. And He shows us, He reveals to us God walking the earth. He shows us what it looks like to be, to be tempted in every single possible way that we are tempted and yet to remain without sin how is it how amazing is it that that we get to open up gospels like john and to see god walking the earth and yet that wasn't enough it was not enough for us just to see how god in the flesh operated and lived We needed more than just a model. We needed a fundamental change in who we are and how God sees us. Imagine if you're a golfer, and I'm not much of a golfer. play about once a year so you can imagine what my game is. I've, I've heard about some of your games, and they're not much better. But imagine you're down here the road, down the road at Mystic Creek, and and you're playing, and Tiger Woods comes to the course. 
and, and you know he's going to play through. You could have six, a six-hole head start. He's going to end up playing through. Again, I've heard about your golf games. And as he plays through, just imagine watching the perfection of Tiger Woods. And he, as he plays through, and you're just there watching him, and he says, hey guys, it's not that hard. And he just knocks it on through, takes it to the hole. Tiger Woods has not helped you. Tiger Woods has exposed you. You're sitting there feeling even worse about your game because nothing's changed other than the fact that you saw a man who can play with such perfection. It, sh- it just exposed how bad you are at golf. And if all Christ had done, if it had been merely to be a model for us, then that's all He would have done. That's all it would have, we, He would have left us in worse shape because we would look at how He kept God's law so perfectly and how moral He was and how, though tempted, He was without any, any bit of sin. And we would have looked at that and said, well, what am I going to do? All that I've seen is is how far I fall short. I even feel worse when I observe the greatness of Christ and His ability to live up to God's law. And that is why Christ not only came to be near us, and not only to make God known to us, but to give us grace to fundamentally change who we are and how God sees us so thirdly the word became flesh to give us grace look at verse 16 and 17 for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace verse 17 for the law was given through moses grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And we see here the, the source of grace and it's, it's Christ's fullness. It's an overflowing source. Christ did not extend grace because He had to. Christ did not come to be with us because He was lacking and He needed a friend. Christ came into our world Because of His fullness and He had so much to give, not to come and to get. And that's why the Scriptures paint for us not Christ coming to be served, but Christ coming to serve because of His fullness. That He is everything He ever needs to be in His perfection. He is perfect and glorious. And it is out of the overflow of that that He's able to to serve us, and to give us grace. And we see that this grace is, an, has, is not just an overflowing source, it's an ever-flowing source. It, I love the, the picture here. It says, grace upon grace. He doesn't just give us grace. He gives us grace upon grace. Listen to me. As scandalous as this is, if you know Christ, if you have trusted Him as your personal Savior, you will run out of sin before you run out of grace. 
You will run out of sin before God runs out of grace to you through Christ. Amen? What a glorious, glorious promise that out of His fullness, He gives us grace upon grace. And we see here that we see the cure of grace. God's law is brought up here. It says, for the law was given through Moses. For the law was given through Moses. And the reality is, is that the law of God is a great gift. It's a great, amazing gift that he gave to all of mankind through Moses. But here's the reality. The law can never be the cure for sin. The law is the diagnosis for sin. It shows us God's standard for life to see how we measure up. The law is a good thing, but its help to us only goes so far in that it simply shows us that we are not enough to show us that we are sinners. Romans 7, 7 says, What then shall we say that the law is sin? By no means. Yes, it, yes if it had not been for the law, I would, have not, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known that it, what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. The law is an x-ray that shows the tumor of sin. And, and we've got to be thankful, right, for medical science, that the x-ray that shows the problem, it's just not enough. It's one step in the healing. Romans 8.3 says, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. So here's, here's the problem with the law is that coupled with our flesh, the law only gives us ways, lets us know it, how we can sin. Right? There's something built in us that when we see the wet paint sign, right, we have to touch and see if it's really wet. Me at a Mexican restaurant, they put the plate down. It's very hot, sir. What do I want to do? What do I do a lot of the times? I reach out and I touch it. And sometimes it's not so hot. And sometimes I regret it. But because I'm a moron, I've got to push the boundaries. I, I hear, don't touch, and I need to see. I need to see what it's about. And that's, that's the, the, the shortcoming of the law in my flesh because... I'm a rebellious person and I just got to see. But Romans 8, 3, after it says, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do, it says, By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin He condemned sin in the flesh. God brought the cure through Christ. Right? So, verse 17, for the law was given through Moses. It's good, it's a great gift of God, but it can never, ever cure our sin problem. What comes next in verse 17 
and the second part of 17 is what is what cures us and it says grace and truth came through Jesus Christ grace and truth came through the work of Jesus Christ and this is the work of Christ that babe that we celebrate that came in this manger in, in humility and meagerness he lived this amazing life and did not sin one time. Absolute perfection. He kept God's law to show us what we needed to do. That's not the main purpose. He kept the law so that he could be the substitute for us. So that his righteousness in keeping the law might be placed upon us by grace. And then after living that perfect law, obeying, uh, living that perfect life, obeying the law at every turn, he then died a death that we all deserve. Like Bob said earlier, the wages of sin is death. And even though he had not sinned, he bore that penalty, the wrath of God for us for us as our substitute he lived a life that we could never live so that that righteousness could be to our credit so that we might be justified before god he died the death that we deserved so that our sins could be forgiven through grace This Christmas season, what we celebrate is Christ with us in the flesh. Christ came in the flesh to be with us. As you celebrate with your family, realize that God is, is with you through Christ. He came to make God known to us, to show us who God is. And He came in the flesh to give us grace. I would encourage you, if you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, you've never believed in Him, you can have the most amazing Christmas ever knowing that the One who's made flesh with you is, is the One whom you have been joined together to receive grace upon grace for your sin. I'm going to ask you to please stand as our musicians come. And I'm going to ask you to respond however God has spoken to you through His Word this morning. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank You for Christ. God, we thank You for the law. God, we thank you for the diagnosis of the law that shows us our need of Christ. And God, we thank you for the cure that Christ provides for us. And God, I pray, I pray deeply. I pray with all that I am and all that I have. And I pray, God, that there's anyone here who is destined to live another Christmas not truly knowing what it's about, not truly knowing you the God who gives grace upon grace through your Son. I pray 
that they would respond. God, so that they might know, so they might believe, and that they may have the life that this book was written so that they might have. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.